0: You are listening to an audio sermon of First Baptist Church of Arlington, Washington. Our mission is to know Jesus and make him known. Thank you for joining us. Here is today's message. It is a joy to be with you. What a wonderful introduction it's been for me to get to know the uh, missionaries here this week and uh, the uh, leadership and uh, of uh, First Baptist Church and last but not least the people of First Baptist Church and what a wonderful community you are um, and you know it's uh, you never know what you're going to get when you travel and go to a new church that you've never been to before the welcome or the type of people and uh, you've, been, you've been wonderful uh, you've been gracious you've been hospitable and so thank you um, and and uh, and I've been fed very, very well, uh, so my wife thanks you, I hope, uh, for that as well. Last night, I had the most extraordinary meal combination. I had a sub-sandwich, a piece of pizza, and some really good mousse, and uh, that was just a great dinner experience. So, hey, that's Missions Conference. Um, I did want to say just briefly about uh, the work of biblical ministries worldwide, um, Uh, Thanks to the Harmers, we've got some great material on a table out here just to tell you more about what we do around the world. But We are in 45 countries uh, with about 500 missionaries globally, and we do uh, everything from uh, uh, theological education in uh, uh, Fiji and New Zealand and uh, Thailand uh, and the Netherlands to church planting and Denmark and South Africa and Utah, and radio ministry and uh, compassion ministry, and all sorts of things all over the world. Uh, and so we are about mobilizing people. Um, but our specific niche, if you will, what, what we really believe in is that all that we do, we want to do th- of, by, and through the local church. There are many wonderful good a- agencies. We have several here this week, um, and, and it's not a competition. It's about where God leads you to be, and we love to cooperate and work with other agencies and organizations around the world, but uh, what we believe God has called us to do is to equip men and women to work through local church ministry in its local cultural context wherever God puts them on planet earth. That's what we believe in. That's what we mobilize people to do. And so I'd be more than happy to chat with you more about that at the end of the service. If you'd take your Bibles, please, and turn to Ephesians chapter 2. And as you're turning there, just a little bit more about me uh, and my family. Um, I served for 20 years Uh, roughly, overseas, almost 10 years in Russia and Eastern Europe, and then almost 10 years in London, England, married very happily to Sarah, childhood sweetheart, for 20 years, and uh, our three children, Joey's 14, Jackson is 11, and Lizzie is four years old, our little girl, and uh, you can pray for us because she figured out a few months ago that she is in charge of the family, and there's nothing any of us can do about it, so, uh, and uh, she's just absolutely adorable. And knows it. Ephesians chapter 2 is a very powerful text. And the book of Ephesians is a wonderful book. Um, The book of Ephesians is a book in which the Apostle Paul really is able to describe the great theme of the ages. God's plan through his church to break down the wall of partition, the divide between Jew and Gentile, and to see God's salvation go to all people, all nations, everywhere, through His church. I preached a verse-by-verse series through Ephesians some years ago in our church in London, and the title was, uh, Jesus Loves His Church. And Ephesians is all about the church. I tell you, when you've traveled a lot, and, and I have, I, you, one of the most wonderful things you can do on the remote, in a remote part of the world, um, where, whether you're in uh, Cote d'Ivoire, West Africa, or the frozen wastelands of Siberia, or uh, a church in Alabama, they're all extremely different in the way they think about culture in the way they eat, the way they socialize. But when the preaching begins and the teaching begins and the worship happens, there's this extraordinary synergy wherever the people of God are gathered. You might not understand a lot about the place you're in, but when church happens, you know where you are and what you're supposed to be about. It's the most remarkable thing about the local church, the body of Christ, is it really is a global thing. And John Stott said very famously some years ago, uh, our God is a global God. Our church should have a global vision because our God is a global God. And Ephesians is all about that. It's about the global nature of the church. Transcends borders, transcends cultures, transcends boundaries, all of the walls that we build as human beings. And my goodness, we're so good at doing that creating divides. Well, you're not one of us. Well, you're not from around here. We're, what's your background? Where do We try to fit people in boxes. And the great theme of Ephesians is taking those boxes and absolutely shattering them in the overwhelming grace of God. And uh, this book, I encourage you to dive deeper in, in it. Every time you open it, every time you explore it, there's another treasure waiting. and the mind, and were by nature, by nature, the children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Just a quick note here. This captures every person in this room. This is all of us here in verse 3. Nobody is excluded. Verse 4, one of the great moments in all of the Bible because the soberness of verse 3 means everyone has come under that wrath, that condemnation, that control, the slavery of the flesh and the desires of the body and the mind. But verse 4 says, but God. And throughout the Bible, whenever you see That type of a phrase, you know something wonderful is happening. But God stepped in. But God weighs in. But God, who is rich. Well, God is rich. God is rich. God is wealthy. We love to say He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. God has everything. Everything. But if you see what it says right, God who is rich in mercy. God is rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. 1 John tells us very clearly, God is love. And his mercy flows out of his nature of love, his love for God so loved the world. That He gave His only begotten Son. And that means that God loved the world in such a way, in such a fashion, to demonstrate. You see, His love for us. Verse 5 tells us that this love is so great that even when we were dead in our trespasses... We're made alive, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that, notice verse 7, in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable Without measure, without comprehension, the immeasurable riches of His grace. Notice this, in His kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. And this morning I'm preaching on the kindness of God in missions. You see, for by grace you have been saved. Through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Not a result of works. So that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them." A great mission preacher said and has said many times before, I've heard it countless times and others have paraphrased it, but it always bears repeating in a mission conference setting. A missions conference is a local church gathered in a business meeting to decide the fate of the lost. Say that again. A missions conference can be thought of as the local church gathered in a business meeting to decide the fate of the lost. Now, whatever you think about the nuance of that statement, there's a very powerful truth in there. We're here today for a reason. Missions Conference has a purpose to it. It's not just to sing songs and to gather and to hear interesting stories. There's a purpose behind what we're here to do and what we're about. And ultimately, the reason is to make a commitment It's to make a commitment to what we're going to give to reach the lost across the world. The Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And you've got an option here to pledge a certain amount every month or a certain amount every year. And this pledge that you make is going to be a promise that is between you and God. As you pray and seek God, what God would put on your heart to give and to pledge that as God allows you to give, you'll do so. And you'll do that week by week, month by month, year by year, however you're able to do so. Now when you think about how important that decision is, what you're saying is for the next missionary fiscal year, whatever that looks like in this church, the money that I put down, the amount of money I put down is going to go into the calculation that the missions committee or your finance committee or however you do it decides we can give this amount of money to reach the world for Christ. There is hardly a greater commitment that you can make than that one what you put down will determine the part that this local church plays in that so can i just draw your attention to the seriousness of the hour and may god help us as we look at this text the kindness of god in missions go back with me if you will and if you have your notes we'll start with number 1 Verse 1 of chapter 2 of Ephesians. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Why do we start here with this mission text? This, this isn't one of the classic mission texts, if you will. This isn't Acts eight, But there's a very, very powerful truth in here you need to see. Some years ago, I was in seminary and... Uh, uh, it's, I guess 20 years ago now, and it was one of my first classes, my first semester, and it was a fancy-named class, like seminary so good at doing. Uh, it was called Soteriology, which means the study or the doctrine of salvation. And uh, and I went in there, and I was, you know, real young guy, early 20s, and, and was very nervous because I'm with all these seminarians, and, you know, it's a very, very... Um, you know, kind of constricted environment at times. And you, you kind of walk in and you're looking around and there's all these fancy words coming at you and, and I'm in soteriology. And this short, very wiry and energetic professor walked into the room. Quite an older man. He's since gone to be with the Lord. And he walked into the classroom and he looked at us all and he took... Uh, A marker and wrote on the board two phrases who he is and what he did who he is and what he did and he said I want to put you at ease this morning he said because this whole class is about those two things it's all about who he is and what he did And then he drew our attention to Ephesians chapter 2, and he referenced verse 7, and he said, it's all about this. He said, you love to talk about Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, for by grace you have been saved. It's not of works. He said, but look at verse 7, that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. And he said, this is what salvation's all about. It's the kindness of God. It's the love of God. And this morning, what I'm telling you, as I saw the radiant joy of Jesus Christ beam across my professor's face that day, it put me completely at ease as I realized, we're just going to learn about Jesus in this class. That's what I'm telling you missions is all about. I want to declutter it for you. I want to decomplicate it for you. I want you to hear me. God loves you. He wants to be kind to you. And he wants to be kind to the nations of the world. And that's what missions is all about. But we have to back up. Because Paul sets the stage for us here. He defines us. He says, look, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. This is a condition of humanity. Death and lostness and brokenness and following our flesh and following our desires and doing all of those things. This is baked into who we are. And it always will be in our human condition. This is just a reality. This is a fact. And it's very difficult for us as Christians sometimes to acknowledge that. Once you've been a believer for a while, and you've kind of grown in knowledge and understanding, it becomes very easy to forget that you were once a heathen. And in your flesh lives nothing good. Nothing. And in your heart, there is deceit and wickedness. Desperately wicked. Vileness. You know, one of the great joys of salvation is that, and James kind of alludes to this, it talks about converting the sinner from the error of his ways at the end of James. Kind of talks about that. And and, and one of the great joys of it is that, and in that context, it seems to be more talking about a Christian who's drifting away, but the principle is is literally right through the Bible. One of the great joys of converting someone from death to life, from sin to righteousness, is that you put a stop to an untold amount of evil that could come out of that person. How many people have been saved, redeemed by Calvary's love, and not done some horrible things that they otherwise would have done? The other joy to it, the flip side of that, is that the conversion of a sinner, while it stops a channel of evil... The distant reaches of that you would never be able to comprehend. It also starts a flow or a channel of righteousness and good. Again, the far reaches you'll never know. You'll never know what one track can do. You'll never know what handing someone a Bible can do. You never know what God can do. With a sinner that's been redeemed. You know, you think of the lay preacher who, on a very stormy night, got up and preached a text from Isaiah, Look unto me and be you saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no one else. And a young man named Charles Spurgeon happened down to church that night. And was gloriously converted in that moment and became known as the Prince of Preachers," and I got to pastor a church in the shadow of his former home for almost a decade in London, England. That lay preacher on that stormy night didn't know what he was about to do. And, you know, frankly, it didn't matter. Because there's been countless sermons and countless stories that don't rise to the level of Spurgeon, but only eternity knows the story that's been told. Because somebody preached, somebody spoke, somebody prayed, somebody cared, somebody loved. And frankly, that's why every one of you is in this room right now. And you probably don't even know how many people prayed and spoke and cared. And the network that eternity will tell. Because this is God's plan for the ages. It's to rescue sinners who are dead. To spark them to new birth. To new life. But we really need to sometimes go back and look at what we really are without God. And what every sinner on earth is without God. And it's not pretty. It's not pretty. And to be very frank with you this morning, it is time for the church of Jesus Christ to stop hating sinners for being sinners. To stop being surprised when sinners sin. And to start taking texts like this and say, Hey, the sons of disobedience, the passions of our flesh, the desires of the body, the desires of the mind, children of wrath like the rest of mankind, but God. I've got nothing left but God. God. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. If the gospel doesn't reduce you to a state of broken humility, then there's something wrong with your understanding of the gospel. Because we can sing it all day long. My chains are gone, I've been set free. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. But a wretch wretch isn't a good thing. And without God, you're still that same wretch. But God. You were dead, but God. You were dead, but God. What did he do? Verse 4 says, God, rich in mercy. You know, uh, God is very, very wealthy. By definition, if wealth is to accumulate possessions, putting it in in the local vernacular in America, to have a lot of stuff. God has all the stuff. He's got everything. So God, by definition, is rich. Super rich. Mega rich. Makes Bill Gates look like a pauper rich. I want you to go back and think about this card for a moment. I did some rough calculations preparing for this message and I looked at what the average cost of a cup of coffee in Seattle area, kind of Washington state is. By the way, just a quick time out from the, from the text. And I want, to, I want to say how much I enjoy coming up here because I learned to drink really good coffee um, living overseas for all these years, and it's, I, you know, nothing against Atlanta, but the coffee just doesn't measure up, and it's good to get real good coffee, you know, coffee that makes a, it hums a little, you know, when you drink it, drink it the right way. You know coffee up here, and you know it well, and I commend you for that. You drink a lot of it. Washingtonians drink a lot of coffee. Washingtonians west of the Cascades drink even more. For the cost of one cup of coffee a day, if the membership of this church were to give the cost of one coffee a day, you would triple the amount of money that you give to faith promise missions excluding the amount that the church gives from its budget. You would triple that. When you think what we spend on coffee and drinks and those types of things, go back to verse four. But God being rich. (laughs) Just trying to do a little simple calculation here. God being rich in mercy. God being rich in mercy. The God, think about it for a moment, the God who raised you up, made you alive from your sins. Your wicked sins, my wicked sins, we're dead in those things. He raises us up. See, this God is rich in mercy. Rich in mercy. This is His nature. Why? Because of the love with which He loved us. So walk with me carefully here for a moment. The God who made you alive... Saved you from your sins, the quality and the nature of the wealth of that God is grounded in mercy. Put it another way the bank of heaven is filled up with mercy because. The one who owns that bank is love. God is love and he is full of mercy. He is rich in it. That's the one who saved you. That's the nature of that soteriology. The nature of that salvation is a God who is rich in this mercy. So what I'm trying to say to you here is that we can't really talk about missions and saving the lost, winning the world for Christ, quote unquote, without talking about a God who is rich in mercy. And somewhere in the work of missions, that's got to kind of trickle down into the what we do. That's got to kind of flow out of what we're doing with lost people, with sinners, That's got to be at the heart of it. God being rich in mercy because as a result of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, reinforcing here our condition, even when we were dead, Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his love toward us while we were sinners. Christ died for us even when we were dead made us alive together with Christ. So we're, Paul is emphasizing the depravity, the darkness of our sins, and then showing us the wealth of Jesus and his merciful love to us, and then says this, by grace you have been saved. Well, of course it is. When you think about the depth of our darkness and our depravity and our sins. And then you think about the extraordinary, extraordinary wealth of the mercy of God. Because of His love. When you bring those two together. When mercy and justice kiss at Calvary's cross. There is a moment in time. When God... Says, here is my grace, and it's a result of my love. You were dead, but God, verse 6, raised us up. God raised us up. He raised us up. The old song, You Raise Me Up. <laughs> he raised us up on a whole nother level. He lifts us up out of the miry clay, puts our feet on a rock, and sets our goings in a new direction. He takes us from an old way to a new way, quickens us, makes us alive to become a new creation, to have a new identity, to have the chains of the past completely severed and broken and say, you are free. And not only are you free, not only are you raised up, but there's something really powerful here. He raises us up and then sets us right down. He raises us up and says, come sit here with Christ Jesus. You sit here, you're a joint heir with Christ. I'm taking you up, you're worthless and you're nothing, but you're going to come sit here with me now. You're raised up to sit here with me. There's a kinship here, there's a relationship here, which is why all the more important it is to understand the nature of God's salvation. Love and mercy. So if that's not flowing through our Christianity, through our spirituality, through our soteriology, then we're missing the whole mark. Really, let's stop talking about how bad sinners are. Because we're not so hot ourselves. Of course they're bad. They're sinners. And you were... And are, by nature, a bad sinner. But God raised you up. And then he sits you down and he says, Here, we're together. We're in partnership. We're in relationship. And he does it all for a very powerful reason. All of this leads to verse 7. It starts with the words, All of this, so that. it's What's coming here is an explanation. Okay, so if you see the first six verses, he's saying what? You were dead. Um, God in his mercy, his wealth, his love, his mercy, he raises us up. Even though we were dead, he raises us up. He sits us down with him in the heavenlies, if you will. And then in verse 7, he says these powerful words. Paul tells us, so that, here's why. That's another way to say, it. here's why he's done all that. So that in the coming ages for all eternity, if you will, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace. Rich in mercy, riches of his grace. You're starting to get a theme here in this text. God's got a lot of things that are good. Riches of his grace in Kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. You were dead, but God raised us up so that for all eternity he could show us his kindness. Now let's talk about that God into the nations for a little while. Let's talk about a God who's kind. Have you ever had an experience in church where a Christian was unkind to you? Don't laugh. (laughs) I'm a pastor's kid. I've had a lot. Have you ever been hurt by a fellow brother or sister in Christ? Have you ever been hurt by a Christian leader? Someone was unkind, not gentle, not long-suffering, cruel, unjust, Well, of course you have, if you've been alive very long. Of course you have. But that's not the nature of God's mercy. That's not the nature of what God has his church here to do. It's not the nature of what missions is all about. Missions is the forceful love of God to the nations of the world so that he can draw sinners to himself because of his love so that for all eternity he can be kind to them. When people talk about Christian persecution, particularly in the West, the United States especially, I've, I've started asking the question Were they persecuting Christians because they loved Jesus, or were they persecuting Christians because the Christians were being really mean? And there is a difference. There is a difference between those things. Make sure when you claim persecution that you're being persecuted for the name of Christ because you cling to his old rugged cross and his eternal gospel and his love for sinners not just because you're not being very friendly or you're being kind of a nasty person and you just also happen to be a believer in Christ. There is that. There's a lot of that. And do you know why I know that? Because I've been a part of church my whole life. Without God working through us and speaking through us, we kind of revert To that flesh carrying out the desires of the body and the mind by nature, the children of wrath. That fleshly nature that is hanging around with us, that comes out a lot more than we wish it does. It comes out in a lot of ways. It sometimes comes out in our marriages, it comes out in our relationship with our children, it comes out in our relationship within the body of Christ, it comes out in relationships between Christian leaders. Ephesians 4.32 is a wonderful Sunday school verse that we teach children to learn. But when you put it into its actual context in the book of Ephesians, it's an overwhelming statement of the nature of the gospel and the nature of missions and the nature of the church. Be kind, Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. As God in Christ forgave you. The basis of our gathering is God in Christ forgave you. And is kind toward you. Therefore we have to let that kindness flow through us. It's more than a Sunday school verse. It's not just about play nice with Johnny on the playground. Don't take his toy don't say mean words, it's for adults too, it's for the body of Christ, it's for the mission to the nations, be kind to one another, because God, who was rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, Made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Raised us up. Seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace. In kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Now, Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another. Forgive one another. Because of what God did. We can't get missions right unless we get this right. We can't do it. It doesn't work. And every missionary who lasts and is able by God's grace to do anything for the kingdom comes to an understanding of this. Because what cross-cultural missions does is it forces you to make a choice to die to things you once held dear and to live in Christ and that's a process that never ends there's always a little more you find I need to die to that that's between me and what God really wants that's in the way of God's kindness flowing through me to these people it's not essential. Been a lot of talk about essential businesses recently. There's a lot of things that we hold on to and we cling to with frozen fingers that are not essential. And it stops the work of missions. Missions. God raised us up to give us kindness. And then the wonderful verses, again, memory verses we all learn. Verse eight and nine. For by grace you've been saved through faith. Well, of course you have. Look what we just read. For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. God. Not a result of works. Why? Because we're dead in our trespasses. We can't get out of that trap. It's all God's mercy, all God's love, His wealth in our poverty, so that no one may boast. When you hear boasting in the church of Jesus Christ, run. And there's far too much of it. Run away. Run away. Because that's not his mercy. You were dead. God raised us up to give us kindness. And then, verse 10 therefore, or for, we are his workmanship. We are his workmanship. Notice what happens in verse 9, the transition from verse 9 to verse 10. He says, it's not a result of your works. So you can't boast. And then instantly pivots in verse 10 and says, because we are his workmanship. We are his workmanship. The love of God, the mercy of God, the new creation of God has created us to do good works which God already put in place for us to do so that we should walk in them. Remember, this is all in context of the church, the breaking down of the wall, the divide between Jew and Gentile, and what do we see? If you jump ahead, look at verse 16, talking about this divide. He might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility between these two groups. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens. Again, do you see the theme, the status? He who raised us up sits us down together with him. He's like, you're not on the outside anymore. You're not a stranger. You're not an alien. You're a fellow citizen with saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Verse 16 again, he might reconcile us us both to God in one body through the cross. Can you turn on your TV channel, whatever you look at or you look, pull on YouTube or pull up your favorite news site or blog and think of a day in recent memory when you didn't pull that up and see evidence of a world that's filled with hostility and divide and brokenness? The whole point of the gospel, the church of Jesus Christ is to reconcile things that are broken and divided. He Himself is our peace. He Himself is our mediator. He Himself is our redemption. And we are fashioned in this new creation that He's given to us to go out And to do the good works that he has prepared. And there is no greater reason for us to work in Jesus, through Jesus, for Jesus. Than to do exactly what Jesus told us to do. And he said to go to Jerusalem, Judea. Samaria into the ends of the earth with this message of hope and love and merciful riches of grace. He said to do that in Acts 1.8. And then a few verses later in Acts one eleven, the angels said that the Jesus who told us to do that is going to come back the same way he went up. And until he does... We've got a job to do. It's to spread the kindness that drew you to Jesus to everyone we know, everyone we meet, because that is the nature of Christ's salvation. It's not to minimize our brokenness and our sin. In fact, it maximizes it. It says the reason you need this kindness, this eternal kindness and this eternal mercy is because we're broken children, lost sheep who've gone astray, gone everyone to our own way, but God in His mercy laid on Him the iniquity of us all. The kindness of God, the heart of missions to spend eternity... Showering us with His favor and kindness. That's the heart of a God whose love and wealth is unimaginable. And I return to the theme that I started this message with. Please take this in the right way. But given everything you just heard, doesn't that seem a small sacrifice for our flesh to make to win lost, suffering, broken souls to Jesus. I'm not telling you that if you put a hundred dollars down, you're going to get a thousand dollars back. I'm not telling you To say, I'm going to do this so God blesses me here. I'm telling you, God, who is rich in mercy and kindness towards you, saved you, and that is the nature of His salvation. And if you truly have the Spirit of God in you, you have the Spirit of His kindness. And there's no kinder way to express the salvation and the heart of God to a lost and dying world than to give... And to pray and to go wherever God tells you to go. So would you prayerfully consider as we close this missions conference what God who is rich in kindness would have you do as you allow His kindness to flow through you to the lost and dying world of which you and I were not so very long ago apart. Would you bow your heads? Father, I thank you this morning for the kindness of God to me, to my family, to my mother, my father, to so many dear friends, to so many people in this church to so many people around the world. Lord, may we be serious this morning. May we take take our responsibility that you have given to us, created us to good works, transformed in your image to share a portion of that kindness and mercy in direct proportion to what you've given to us, to share a portion of that to the work of the nations, to just keep your kindness going to the ends of the earth. Lord, convict us this morning. Break us. Remind us of who you are and what you did and truly what you still do in us and through us. And we'll thank you for it with heads bowed and eyes closed. God bless you.